0: go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you're at home and you are relaxing, I need you to unrelax and stand up. Amen. And I want you to go with me 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And um, I don't know about you. 1 Corinthians has been a very beneficial study. I've read and studied it before, but this time through has just been very very helpful. But um, you know as I've been praying through 1 Corinthians as preparing for this, um, these are these are studies and messages that are not a walk in the park. And um, they're they're tough passages, and they really deal with how to resolve issues in the church. And as I read this tonight, and even as I come out of chapter 5 from last week, ask as a church that you pray with me, that we never get to the place we have to exercise some of these things, these difficult things that are being spoken of. The Bible gives us what we need to do, but I pray that we don't have to be down that road. I pray you pray with me that we be a holy church and a healthy church. Because only by being holy and being healthy, we can be happy. And pray with me that we're not hurting as a church, because there will be hurt in the church. But pray with me that we're not hurting because of sin. Pray with me that we're hurting because maybe there's, a, there's affliction or something that one of our members has had, and we're rallying around that. So First Corinthians 6 tonight, verses 1 to 8, Not a passage that is preached on. I don't think I've ever preached this in our church. I've probably taught it in Sunday schools. And I don't believe I preach this in public, but it needs to be preached. I was going to actually skip over it, but I thought, you know, this is the whole council of God, and we've got to go over it tonight. 1 Corinthians 6, you read aloud at home where you're at this evening, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another... And this is talking about in the local church. Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. (coughs) Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge, notice this phrase, The smallest matters. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then, excuse me, yeah, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you. You might want to run into the Marjorie Bible. The word fault means a loss or a failure. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. I want to preach you a message, a Bible study tonight entitled Christian versus Christian. Christian versus Christian. Father, bless your word tonight. The entrance of thy word giveth light. I pray this evening that every heart would be good soil upon which the word of God would fall upon and bring forth good fruit. Once again, we're looking. At the perfect law of liberty, the divine mirror of heaven, you help us tonight not to forget what manner of men we are, and cleanse us from all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness, and that with meekness, with a teachable heart, with utter humility. Help us to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save souls and save marriages. And save families from falling apart. Salvage our hearts and minds. Father, I pray you deliver the church family from a spirit of malice, of bitterness, which is a root that's hidden. And a root that's harmful. God, I pray tonight for mercies and love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And you said, continue ye my love. And whereas we all embraced in John 15 the importance of abiding in you, I think like the disciples, as Christians, it's very hard To embrace that new commandment of loving one another and I pray God tonight as the church that this message will help us to help us make good decisions to help us not journey down a path that you never intended us to go down. Father have your way tonight Holy Spirit be our teacher show us the way and we'll thank you for this in Jesus name amen you may be seated. Winston Churchill, the great statesman of England, once said this, We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. And he got up and made that statement one time, I don't know if it was before Parliament or somewhere like that. And two British Christians were sitting next to each other and chuckled and said, that sure sounds like a church where Christians are fighting other Christians. I remember I was, uh, many years ago, I became good friends with a man named Jack Heron. And uh, Jack was a, a southerner that got saved out of, it was saved in a Southern Baptist church and was in a, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a, a, a regular Baptist church. We call it GRB church. And, and Jack and I became good friends. He was probably about 20 years older than I, and, I, and he and his wife Pat were just wonderful people and um, I love being around them. And we had a good friendship. My wife and I had good friends with them. And I remember the first time I met him, we were sitting at lunch with some other men. And we started talking about churches. And I thought, man, there's an opportunity to get the gospel in here. And Jack, Jack started talking. I don't know how we got to about Baptists. He says, man, you get in a Baptist church and Baptists fight about everything. I mean, they always are fighting about things there. And um, tonight we're looking at what happens when a Baptist church or church uh, does not know how to resolve issues. And they get out of hand. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5 verse 13 transitions us from a church discipline scene and the removal of an unrepentant, blatantly sinful member of the church out of the church and Paul gets out of that and he barely has had time to wipe the sweat off the brow of his head and he's back into another section of judgment. And as you've been following this study here, the words judge and judgment are used quite a bit by the Apostle Paul. And I said this last week, and I'm going to continue the thought. When Paul started this series of teachings on judging, he began by talking about erroneous judgment, of how he was being unfairly and unjustly judged by the very same people that he led to Christ. He was their spiritual father, but they were passing down some serious, bad judgment about it, and it actually continues on in chapter chapter 9 there. He spoke about eternal judgment, about the judgment of the works of the believer. Last week we looked in chapter 5, the entire chapter deals with the essential judgment of how a church must deal with certain sins in the church, certain public sins that, are, that have been committed, that, that are very, very, very wicked and need to be dealt with. Tonight, I want you to notice in verses 1 to 8, we are, we are going to delve into an area which I call egregious judgment. Egregious judgment. The word egregious means outrageous, grievous, or extreme. Egregious judgment. The word judge is used, notice this, six times in five verses. That's amazing. Six times in five verses. Now, the the extent of what we're talking about here, if you can believe this or not, is lawsuits. Last year, if you can believe this, and this this covers a wide category, 40 million lawsuits were found in the United States. Going to law is a good profession. But unless you're doing it because you're an advocate for something that you want to use your law degree for, most who go into law realize they've got to make a living, and put food on the table. And um, when you think about lawsuits, I mean, I think about one of the largest judgments that was made was a lawsuit filed by the U.S. government against the tobacco industry. I think about one that was a very egregious situation about a a young boy that was 8 years old that was abused and set on fire. And then 12 years later, he died of skin cancer, which the family believed was because because of just infections that happened, because of skin grafts and things like that. And the person who had abused this boy, they basically filed a suit. And that was the second largest judgment ever filed or ever concluded by a jury in the United States. It was, in, it was, it was a large, substantial amount of money. And lawsuits are ways people use to settle unresolved matters. And I wrote this down in my notes. We would, I would define a lawsuit in general as taking an unresolved matter to a court of law to hear the facts... And reach a settlement that is satisfactory to the plaintiff. At the end of the day, it should be satisfactory on both sides, but it's satisfactory to the plaintiff. America, as we know, is a very litigious society. And as we'll see tonight, the Grecian culture and the Athenian Corinthian culture was a very lawsuit-happy culture. We'll see some things about that tonight. Our passage is not just dealing with lawsuits. Our passage tonight... Is dealing with what happens when Christians sue other Christians. Should Christians sue each other? Are they to take matters to a court of law? What does the Bible have to say about that? And so tonight we want to look at this passage of Christian versus Christian. Let's look at our study tonight. Number one, notice verse one. I want you to see the reason behind lawsuits. The reason behind lawsuits. Notice Paul starts off by saying... Dare any of you, or how dare you, having a matter against another. Now, the matter here was such that they could not reach a a resolution. They could not reach a settlement with each other. There were some walls that went up. And he said here, dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Now, Paul gets right to the point. He cuts to the chase. He's dealing with an egregious matter of believers going to court against other believers. Now let's look at what the Scriptures have to say, first of all, tonight. What do the Scriptures have to say about this? Okay. Well, in Exodus chapter 22 to 23, and I don't have time to get into all this tonight. You can look it up yourself. When God spoke to Moses after he gave him the Ten Commandments, he listed out some civil matters of law that, dealt with, that were personal nature, they dealt with property nature. They dealt with financial issues and civil consequences to the one who did wrong. you got to read Exodus 22 a little bit there. And just read as he talks about, you know, civil issues that they had among believers. And you got to remember, uh, the, the nation of Israel right now is in the wilderness. They have been for 400 years under Egyptian law. And so all that's ingrained in them is how Egyptians did business. And I believe even during that time that Egyptians settled matters of law in a court issue there. In a court court of law there. And so Moses realizing that, you know, three million Jews, they likely, because of the numbers, there's going to be unresolved matters. And so God told him, these are things I want you to do. I want you to talk to them about, about how to resolve these kind of personal issues. And these were things God already saw was going on with them. And some of it they carried over from leaving Egypt. So there were personal matters, there were property matters, there were financial matters and other civil things and the consequences they had with all that. In the Old Testament they had judges or kings who presided and heard the matters of the people. This past Sunday morning for the Mother's Day service, I preached from 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 16 to 28. And we saw a civil matter of law. We saw a mother who had her daughter, do- her young son, her newborn son, taken from her. So she, if you would, brought the matter to a court of law. She brought it to the highest court of law in the land, that was the King Solomon. You might say, in effect, she sued this other mother to get her son back. She brought it before a court of law. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 40, was dealing with lawsuits in that society. And he talked about, if a man sues you for your coat, give him your cloak also. Kind of coincides with, With Paul's teaching here, Um, if you read about Luke chapter nineteen, Zacchaeus, who was a publican, took advantage of people. Publicans did a; they they were very very well known that they they a person would pay their taxes. They would they were the tax collectors for the Roman government, but they left it up to the publicans to charge a commission or surcharge on that, and so that varied all over the place. And publicans became very very wealthy, very very rich by extorting money out of people like that. Well, when Zacchaeus got saved, he knew what the Jewish laws taught. He knew. Knew that if he took advantage of somebody that the civil penalty civil penalty behind that was was multifold and he said this without being sued or anything like that, he had such a change in heart. he told Jesus that he said, look at here, I'm going to repay all these people I took advantage of. I'm going to repay them fourfold what I extracted from them. Paul went to a civil court of law we read about it in the book of Acts. He appealed to go all the way up to Caesar to clear his name from false accusations and false motives. Scripture makes very clear that it acknowledges courts of law that are established for resolving civil matters of law that are brought on by lawsuits. A good preacher friend of mine, you would know him if I told you his name. doesn't live in this state. Had a grandchild that contracted Lyme disease. She was bit by a tick the doctors did not properly diagnose the situation and dealt with it. And the end result was, after a long, lengthy period of time, because it was not treated right and was misdiagnosed, the child wound up having very severe physical and mental impairments to the place where even now the parents have to still take care of that child. And the parents didn't want to go to court of law, but the doctors did not resolve the matter. And that situation, they had to go to court of law to resolve it. And they weren't trying to be malicious or anything like that. But they brought it before the court of law so that proper proper judgment could be made about this matter. And the jury cited on, on behalf of the family they did the right thing. And they weren't seeking punitive damage or anything like that. All they sought was financial remedy. So for the care of this daughter, because it would be pretty much into the millions. And it was reached in that situation. Some of you have been, and I think of a church member that got saved because of this. Some of you have been in automobile accidents where perhaps you were, you were not at fault, but they said you were at fault. And, and, and the other party wound up suing you because they knew you had insurance. And, uh, you know, you, got, you thought everything was going fine until you got a ring at the doorbell. And the sheriff's department came and they served you a lawsuit. Some of you have probably been involved with property dispute matters and you got served a lawsuit, whatever it may be. I mean, lawsuits are common. Lawsuits happen. But listen, lawsuits are very frightening. And lawsuits can make you lose a lot of sleep. And lawsuits can be very, very, very harmful in many, many ways here. But we do recognize this evening, as we study the Scriptures, and I can even take you to Romans chapter 13 for that matter, that we recognize that lawsuits are are ways by which courts of law resolve legal matters, legal disputes that cannot be resolved personally or before going to court between individuals. Now notice letter B. I want you to consider the society. Now, the Jews had a very very simple, but very scriptural way of addressing things. The Jews, whenever they had a matter back in the Old Testament, they brought it before the judges, and that's why we have the book of Judges, they brought it before kings. But as they started to have synagogues and things like that, over time, the Jews started to bring their matters before the elders of, of the elders in their synagogues. And they held to the belief that all civil matters should be resolved among their own people, the Jews, as a practice, did not bring their civil matters before the Gentiles. they always resolved it before their own people, and if you would, they always resolved it with if you would around the spiritual leaders of their of their of their of their of their, of their, of their uh, cities and areas there. Now, I want you to notice something else here. We come to chapter six here again I 'm giving you background here. We come to chapter six here and we look at the grecians. we look at Athenian and Grecian and Corinthian society, which was all the same. Grecian society was highly litigious, and I'm very thankful tonight for uh, William Barclay's uh, just his research on this because it gives us some good understanding of what happened there. And I'm going to tell you what William Barclay gives us because pretty much most, most people follow what William Barclay has, has said there, and he's just got some good background. You've got to be careful on some of the stuff he, he has there, but on this matter, he's good. Now, in Athens, if there was a dispute, the first attempt was for them... To bring it before private arbitrators. And so the plaintiff, if I can use that term, would have an arbitrator, the defendant would have an arbitrator, and then a third arbitrator would be chosen, and they would present the cases. The third arbitrator would try to arbitrate and resolve the matter. If they could not reach a conclusion there, then they would escalate it to level two. And level two would take it before what would they call the 40. I don't know why they called it the 40 because there weren't 40 people involved. But the 40 basically referred to another public arbitrator uh, that would be presiding and numerous other public arbitrators. And the numerous other public arbitrators would be anyone over the age of 60. So if you're over age 60 in Athenian society or Corinthian society... You were chosen without your without any say on your part because you'd be disenfranchised uh, there'd be disfranchisement dis- disenfranchisement of you if you did if you didn't do so you had to serve uh, if you would like on a jury or you had to serve as a public arbitrator on that on that situation there well, if the matter still was not resolved you can imagine this then it was referred to a jury court, and this jury court would consist of 201 citizens. Now, for the life of us, we don't even know how they arrived at the number of 201 citizens. But it would consist of 201 citizens of 30 years of age and older. And that had to deal with any issues in our, from our day in life of matters involving $50, $50 or less, if you can imagine that. If it was over 50 U.S. dollars... Then it would involve 401 arbitrators over the age of 30 there. They say there were cases where juries could be as large as 1,000 to 6,000 citizens. they fill up an entire arena, a coliseum, with arbitrators. Why? Because they had nothing better to do. Because... They were a highly litigious society. This is the society that Paul went to in Corinth. He preached the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. People got saved. Praise God. Amen. They got set free, supposedly, from all that. And they did. But they still had Corinthian and Athenian culture inside of them. And all they knew is that when they could not resolve a matter, you would escalate it. And you'd bring a lawsuit. And so you can imagine, they'd have the private arbitrators. If that didn't work, they went to the 40. If that didn't work, they went to the 201, or they went to the 401. That's the situation as we get to chapter 6, is going on in Corinthian society and in the Corinthian church there. Everyone in Corinthian society, everyone that was Grecian, understood How lawsuits worked in their society. Everyone understood, and everyone had fixated in their mind if they if they had served just one time as an arbitrator. They would fixate in their mind, this ever happens to me, this is how I'm going to do it differently. If this ever happens to me, this is what I'm going to do. But I want you to go a little bit further with me. We see the reasons behind lawsuits. Notice, secondly, tonight, we see the rebuke concerning lawsuits. Now, Paul has transitioned. Of a very, a very testy subject. The removal, the church excommunication, or removal of a, of a church member that was publicly unrepentant of his sin. A grievous sin. Now Paul Paul was Baptist because Paul didn't spare any words, he was direct. And Paul gets into chapter 6, remember, because remember as the word of God was written in those days, they didn't have chapter separations. And he's hot. I mean, he's really hot. And he says to them, how dare you? He says to them in verse 5, I speak to your shame. He says before them, you do wrong. He says to them, don't you know? Don't you know? And he's rebuking the believers at Corinth for taking matters that they could not resolve in a Christ-like spirit. And taking them before unjust judges. Remember the arbitrators I talked about. And you can imagine, two Christians, very angry with each other. And getting more angry because before the private arbitrators, they could not resolve the matter. Before the 201 or the 401, they could not resolve the matter, and it's getting just out of hand. And you can imagine the numbers of people who are seeing believers who are members of the First Baptist Church of the Corinth Baptist Church airing out their dirty laundry, probably cursing one another in this court of law. Probably making some wild accusations. And if you would, even making evident, because it's Paul Lucier taking advantage of one or the other. So notice the complaint. In verse 1, the complaint is addressing unresolved friction. Matters against another. I believe as Paul wrote that, there were frivolous issues they were suing each other about. I believe there were, there were other beyond that. I believe there were fraudulent issues I'll get to later They were suing each other about. He said, dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the same? Now, here's an example of that. This sounds really crazy. It would be like this. We reopen our church, and I'm not planting any seeds in your mind. I hope you don't think this, okay? We reopen our church... And we have a member that says, Pastor Fong, you need to keep the church closed because it's not safe. And I tell the member, we're trying to do our best in doing all these things. And we've got safety in place, a number of things like that, which I'll allude to another time. Requiring people to wear masks to church. Wash your hands frequently. A number of things like that. And the person is somewhat more, somewhat, somewhat more siding with the laws of society and forgetting one thing that I want to make very clear to you tonight. Unlike what everyone's saying, churches are not essential. I want to clear tonight: churches are essential, and you ought to say amen about that tonight, right now, if you're a church member. Churches are essential. God said they're essential. Churches are not on the same level as a pet salon. And if you can open up a tattoo parlor in God's name, why can't our church be open? And so I remind you tonight, while we are in submission to government authority, and I'm not preaching civil disobedience, don't get me wrong. I love our government, and I I love the people that we have here, and I'm trying to work with them right now. But I'm also under the mandate of Acts 529. You better hear me, church member. You better hear me, church leader that's a little bit scared about what's going to happen. You're going to cave in before you're going to... You, listen, you better have conviction and not cave in. We must obey God rather than man. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the of some is. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. And don't you know We've been preaching through Isaiah and preaching through Corinthians and preaching through Revelation. Don't you know that the time of Jesus coming could be soon? And we need to meet so much more, the Bible says. Now we'll meet slowly, but here's my here's my illustration. Somebody who's bought into the socialistic agenda says, Well, if you open up, I'm gonna sue you in the church. I don't even want to talk to you. I'm gonna sue you in the church. And they going to do that? Unresolved friction. In verses 67, he complains to complain about universal failure. Paul said there was a loss or failure. Look what he says here, verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother. And that before the unbelievers... He said in verse 7, Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. His complaint addresses unresolved friction. His complaint addresses universal failure. In verse 8, his complaint addresses unjust fraud. Ye do wrong... And defraud that your brethren. There is a malicious motive. Lawsuits against each other were being filed to take advantage one of the other. Now first of all, I believe it got there because, because there was one of the parties that would not do right. They probably withheld some money. And then the other, the plaintiff, decided they got to the place where the tipping point hit them. And they said, okay, if you're going to be like that, I'm going to go after you for punitive damages. Now Paul makes his complaint clear. Why are you going to court against a brother or sister in Christ and doing it before unsaved people? Why are you airing out your laundry to unsaved people? But there's a second thing here, in the rebuke. Notice in verses 2 to 3 something interesting. As he talked about this complaint, he reminds them about a commission. And we're not talking about the Great Commission, the Gospel Commission. We're talking about here an assignment or responsibility God has given to us. Listen very carefully tonight. And he does... What he does frequently through Corinthians. Do you not know or don't you know? I've taught you this before. Don't you not? I've taught you this before. Don't you know? Number one. He speaks about in verse two. Believers judging the world. Now. That's kind of mind staggering if you don't know your Bible. What Jesus, what Paul's referring to here is a future time. This has to do with that with the start of the millennium when believers will be judging the world with them. We'll be co regents with Jesus Christ, if you can imagine that privilege. He will put various believers in charge of cities and counties. And this is rulership. Notice 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer, notice this phrase, we shall also reign with him. For Revelation 3.21. To him that, I, that overcometh. We preached on this a few weeks ago. Him will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's talking about rulership. Co-regency. Revelation 5.10. And he's made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And what is that? Well, Revelation 5 is in heaven, but when he talked of reigning on earth, that's when we come back with Jesus at the second coming and he establishes his kingdom on earth, and that's what we call the millennium. Revelation 26. 20 verse 6. Blessed is holy, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. Now, I want you to understand, you're not going to be like a governor, and you're not going to be like a you're not going to be like a governor. I believe believe a lot of what he's saying there is going to be very typical of what old Testament what we saw in the Old Testament. He says we'd be kings and priests. Holy rulership. Listen, cities around the world are plagued with political corruptions. In the millennium, praise God, there will be no political corruptions. God's going to set everything straight and have the right people in place. That's why you want to be a good steward right now. That's why you want to be a good steward right now. Because when he says, I will make you, put you over much, you know what he's talking about here? Cities. Judging the world. So Paul says here, number one, don't you know you're going to judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, Are you unworthy to judge the smallest man? He says, in other words, this doesn't even make sense. He says, let's let's try to think this through. If God says he makes you worthy to be a judge over cities and to reign with him during the millennium, are you unworthy? You cannot deal with the smallest matters in your own congregation? But he says something else here in this commission. Did you know not only will we be judging the world in our millennium? Did you know at the end times, at the end of all that, believers will judge fallen angels? Know you not that we shall judge angels? How do you know, pastor, there's going to be fallen angels? Well, notice this. Go to 2 Peter 2.4. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell. And deliver them into chains of darkness, notice this, to be reserved unto judgment. Jude 1, 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. We will have a part in judging those wicked, evil, filthy, fallen angels That's pretty awesome He said, "Look, if you've been elevated to that privilege in the future, how is it you cannot even deal with issues that are a small matter here in your own church among each other?" Paul gives his complaint. Paul speaks about the commission Paul gives a condemnation. Look at verse 5 again. Shame on you. And it was shameful. It's shameful. Listen, if Christians can't resolve things between themselves, they have to escalate it to a court of law. And even if you would, if we have to, where the church has to get involved and resolve it, Paul says, shame on you. Is this so? There's not a wise man among you? He said, look, you call yourselves wise men in the previous chapters. Don't you even have one wise man among you who can discern between right and wrong, truth and error? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Paul said in verse 8, you do wrong. You've hurt cause hurt and injury to the cause of Christ. So I was preparing this, and even weeks before this, I asked God, please hover over Heritage Baptist Church and prevent right now that we have to go down the pathway of having to exercise church discipline to an unrepentant believer in our church. And God spare us for being so carnal and so petty and so unchristlike that we would go to court of law against each other. It's a sad thing when family members sue each other. It's a sad thing. As he said, or brother against brother, and he's talking about brothers in Christ. But in a church that is not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. And let me remind you tonight, you cannot walk in the Spirit if you've not crucified the old flesh. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. I needs to die. I needs to die. iPad needs to die. iPhone needs to die. iPod needs to die. I needs to die, Amen. Nevertheless, I. I needs to die. You're not going to walk in the Spirit when you're living in the flesh. Because you know what? The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary. one to the other. And if you bite and devour one another, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, you're not walking in the spirit. So he says here, as a church, may God help us to be Christ-like enough and loving enough and godly enough To not be down this pathway. And so Paul now goes from rebuking the church. I want you to consider the remedy for the church. How do you remedy civil matters of law between believers in the same church? I'm going to give you some preventative things. I'm going to give you some things if you're in it right now. And I'm going to give you some things that fall in line with what Paul says here. Now civil litigation falls into a lot of categories. I hope you're listening to me tonight. Let me, let me consider, first of all, number one, bodily injury and property damage. Now, it's inevitable that you're going to, your lifetime, you're going to be involved in something where there's going to be property damage or bodily injury. And that's why you have insurance. And by the way, as a church member, you are irresponsible if you're driving around without automobile insurance. You're required by law to have that. And that's why you should have automobile insurance, homeowner insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Property insurance. So if there's a grievance between two church members and something like that, they submit the claim. If they have a fender bender, car accident, they submit the claim, let the insurance companies work it out, Okay. So you have, you have that there to resolve that matter. The insurance companies are trying to resolve this matter, work it out. And, and, and I understand. Sometimes insurance companies don't do it to your best benefit, and you're going to have to be a little more involved with it. But you let the insurance companies work that matter out. So if you're involved in an automobile accident, a property dispute of some kind, property damage of some kind, you give it to the insurance company. Work it out. Somebody slips and falls on your property, that's why you have insurance for it. In case that person gets hurt, bodily injury, then your insurance takes care of their medical payments. Number two, in business, Now, let me give some things about that. If you're thinking about going into business, or you're in business and you're thinking about expanding, I strongly encourage you to think very clearly about who you go into business with. Now, straight off the bat, the Bible tells us that believers should not go into business with unbelievers. That's called an unequal yoke. Did you hear what I said? That's an unequal yoke. You say, well, Pastor, you understand, we're getting into some intellectual property things. This other person's got a genius. Yeah, I understand he may be a genius, and he may be honest right now, but when money starts coming in, it changes him. So number one, in business, it should be believers believers, but I'm going to go a step further. You better make sure, you better make very sure. The person you go into business with is not covetous. And I think that's pretty hard if you're going to business, to be honest with you. It's attainable, but I think it's pretty hard. You better make sure that person is not covetous. You better make sure that person is real before God. That what they are in private is what they are in public. If you can't prove it, if it's not there... You're better off not going to business with them. I would encourage you this. You better be very careful going to business with family. Things like that. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. In business, if you're going to do it, you better have contracts written up. And contracts that clearly spell out how you can exit out of this thing. People going to business with idea that they're never going to break up. I'm going to tell you some reality. They do break up they do fall apart. And so you need these contracts to resolve what happens at the different exit strategies. Death, disability, departure, or even divorce. If that happens. Number three, I want to talk about employment. i to talk about employment for a minute. Now Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, and James chapter 5, Clearly explains responsibilities employees and employers each other. It's good teaching, and if you're you've never studied it, everybody who has a job, and that's most of you out there, you ought to study that. Especially if you're an employee, and if you're an employee, you ought to study that. But here's what I'll tell you. In an employment setting, you need to be a good steward of the resources that are there, because your employer could sue you and come after you for embezzling those resources. Another thing, and this is big employment law, and those of you in HR understand this. You need to avoid, and this is going to be very strong over this tonight, so you better listen to me this evening. You better avoid romance on the worksite. Don't get emotionally involved or whatever it may be because I'll tell you what's going to happen there. Eventually, it's going to fall apart and you can wind up having a sexual harassment lawsuit against you. I'm just telling you what's going to go on out there. It's employment. What about other disputes and unresolved disagreements? Well, Paul does not tell us in chapter 6 here what these issues were. You know why? Because as far as God is concerned, here's how God defined them. He defined them as matters against another, smallest matters, um, things pertaining to this life, and when he said things pertaining to this life, you know who he's really appealing to? Why are you so caught up with the things of this life that you are not able to resolve this? Now, he didn't get into, he got into a little bit here, but he didn't get into what if the other believer cheated the other one and is defrauding them and is doing some dishonesty, is holding back payments, whatever it may be like that. I'm not necessarily thinking he's going that route, and I think he leaves some margin there on how to to resolve that. But here's what the Bible teaches us. Let me, let me help you here. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Would you go there, please? Matthew chapter 18. It's not going to show up on your screen. Turn to your Bible. Now, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18 how to, how to, deal with re, uh, re, how to get resolution with these disputes. And I think that's why Paul, as he talked about these things, he's already, he's already taught this to them. He's not explaining it again. I mean, I think Jesus' teaching is very clear. Notice what Jesus says here, okay, in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Egregious trespass. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Number one. It may be hard. But the Christian thing to do is when there's a grievance, there's a trespass he's trespassed against you, go and tell him. Go and talk to him. And the optimistic, the optimistic conclusion of verse 15 is if he hears you out and says, you know what, you're right. You've gained your brother. You've fixed the matter. In other words, he's talking about you tell the brother and you get resolution. That's the ultimate gain, okay? You want Resolution. Secondly, verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, he's being stubborn. He refuses to settle. If he will not, and bear in mind, he's trespassed against you. You've got documentation show he's trespassed against you. But if he will not hear thee, then he says, take with thee one or two more. Now, watch this here. Do you realize how what Jesus said there was a slap in the face to Athenian culture? Because they got past the arbitrators and they they escalated up to the 40 and then to the 201 or 401. He says, look, if he doesn't hear you, take with you one or two more witnesses, two more people that will hear it out. And he says, because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And that's Old Testament, Old Testament principles. But if he still that second level doesn't hear you, look at verse 17. If he will neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be under thee as a heathen, man, and as a publican. Okay, now, there's both church discipline in this, but there's also conflict resolution in this. So let's go back here for a minute. Go back to chapter 6. Keep your finger there. Go back to chapter 6. Take it before the church is what Paul is talking about here. They've had arbitrators that they, 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 they can't resolve it. They're not to sue each other in a court of law before unjust people. And by the way, you ought to do some research on some of the judges that are out there, too, just so you know what you're getting into. He says, "Breaking to the church. Now, who in the church? Who in the church? When it gets to the place where can I get resolved privately? The pastor and spiritual men of God who have wisdom, as the Bible says here, and discernment. The matter we brought before them, they will hear it out, and a decision is made. And as you study this passage, that decision is binding. Whether they're right or wrong, as far as how you see things, the decision is binding. That's what he says here. So what if it doesn't go your way? Look at verses 6 and 7. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore... There is utterly a failure or fault among you. Basically, it's a sin. Because you go to law one with another, there's malice there. So what do you do if it's not resolved? Now, Paul says something that's twofold here. He says, instead of going to law against this egregious situation, why don't you just suffer wrong and be defrauded? Whoa. <laughs> Does he mean in every situation? I don't believe in every situation. You know what Paul's saying here? There are believers already suing each other. They were frivolous matters in most cases. They were dumb, dumb issues. Why did you just take wrong? What just, You know, he said it's not a matter of life or death. Why don't you suffer wrong? He says, look, at me, why don't you suffer wrong? Why don't you just rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He said, well, that's not what I'm going to do. And Paul said, nay, you do wrong and defraud. and That's your brethren. Now I'm going to say a couple of things. We're going to wrap it up tonight. That doesn't sit well in the face of people who deserve, who want justice. And I will tell you, Paul is telling us here we should take the high road. But what if you have a situation like this? And Paul says, you know, before it even gets there, what he's saying this, before it even gets there, or if you're already there now, he says, why don't you just suffer wrong? Why don't you suffer wrong? Take the higher road. But Paul is also saying it's wrong to take advantage of others. For instance, you could have a a business person here in the church who's got a lot of cash. And he finds a brother in church that's needy. He says, I'll lend you some money. And uh, he doesn't collateralize it. And he just, there's a promissory note between the two. But he says, you know what, what I'm going to do, conventional interest would charge you, and I don't know what it would be, let's just say, you know, 4.5% or something like that. I'm going to charge you 10%. You're going to charge them exorbitant interest. Now, the Bible calls that usury. When you charge exorbitant interest onto someone, you're taking advantage of it. That's wrong. And that should not happen. And if that happened in a church like ours, you'd want to escalate it here to get it resolved and say, well, this is what the Bible says. We're not going to go down that road, that pathway there. Or if you had an incident that involved maybe your cars and you feel like there's an unresolved issue in terms of your, your monetary, the monetary judgment of the insurance company, what they're going to pay, you decide you want to bring it to the church, and, and I hope we don't have to get to that level. We have to deal with all those things there but like that. But let's say you did. We're just going to basically look at, well, here's what your contract says. This is what your insurance says. This is what they're, they're going to do. You've got to go there. Now, let me tell you this tonight. You ought to be Christ-like enough to not even get to the place where you get unresolved conflicts like that. If you're, if you're a frictious person like that, you ought to get away from that kind of stuff. You ought to get right with God. And if you're someone that's gullible, you don't know that, you need to be very careful before you start doing, doing that. Now, we come to church like like ours, people do some weird things. They, they do business on the, on the side there. And I kind of know when they're doing it. I don't even have to walk up to you. I, I kind of know what's going on. I can, I can hear the chatter going on. I, I know what's going on there. And I have a problem with people in church doing business with each other. That's, that's okay. That's okay. As long as it's done right. And as long as there's honesty, and as long as Christ is being glorified. And don't fall for the line where I'd rather do business with a Christian. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather do business with a Christian who's walking with God, not just with any Christian. So you look at this matter here, you're going to have a situation that's going to come up. And Paul's just saying here, if you before you even get that level, can you just walk away from it and suffer wrong? Take it on the chin, don't let it happen again. But you suffer wrong. And if you're going to be involved with people, don't take advantage of it. By the way, let me just say it tonight. There's, don't, don't get people into your schemes. Tell them they're going to make all this money and you get them out of church. That's wrong too. And you're appealing to their covetous nature. That's how it works. Multi-level marketing schemes, it's all based on covetousness. They tell you, they, they you it's the same, the same spiel, just a different name. So I want to urge you tonight, don't go down that path. I close tonight with a very powerful parable. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. We're not going to read it tonight because it's late. A very wealthy employer, very wealthy man. He had so much, I don't even think he knew what he had. He had a servant... And you read the passage, who basically defrauded him of 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was between 90 and 100 pounds. The equivalency of what this employee absconded was $20 million. I studied this passage out. That employee had two sets of books. That's how he got away with stealing so much money before the employer found out. He had two sets of books. He absconded $20 million, the equivalent of $20 million, $10,000, $20 million from that employer. Read it up. When he got found out, the servant knew he had no way of paying it back. He probably gambled it away. And so the recourse to that The employer was going to sell him and his family as slaves. The employee knew what that meant. He got on his face and on his knees, and he begged for mercy and time to pay it back. Amazingly, (laughs) amazingly, this employer had mercy. And he said, I'll have mercy on you. I'll let you pay it back. I won't say you off as a slave. Now you talk about getting off a big one. That guy got off on a big one right there. Not many, not long after, just an hour or two after that, he ran across a fellow servant who owed him. The Bible says a hundred pence. Now a hundred pence is about three months of wages. That's a lot. But you figure it out. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a mathematician. Three months, somebody owes you three months of wages. You owe somebody $20 million in wages. That's nothing. Three months of wages is nothing, right? It's really nothing, especially if you owe somebody $20 million. He grabbed that other person by the throat and said, Pay me back. He said, and I believe that other servant may have, overheard his, may have overheard him begging for mercy. He says, give me time. Don't, don't, don't hurt me. Give me time and I'll pay it back. You know what that, that, that unjust employee did? He threw the guy into prison. Well, you know what he did there? Throw him into prison. He can't pay him back. He's not going to get any money back. You threw him into prison. How are you going to get your debt repaid? He's taking vengeance on this guy. He did wrong. He defrauded. The big employer found out about this. The Bible says he was saddened. And the Bible says this in the conclusion. The master changed his position. And the Bible says he delivered this man to the tormentors until he repaid the debt. And I'm going to save you the suspense. I'm going to give you, put you on suspense. Go look up the word tormentors so you can find out what he did with him. Jesus gave that parable in the entire... context fact, I'm going to preach a message one of these days on it. I, I did this in my, my study a few months ago. All of Matthew 18 is dealing with the context of forgiveness. That's what it is. That's why he dealt when I read verses 15 to 17 from that chapter. It's all about forgiveness. Peter preceded that asking, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times. Jesus says 70 times seven. In other words, he says it's infinity. Every time he offends you, you've got to forgive him again. Every time. seventy, Because the number seven is the divine number of God. I'm done. Listen to me tonight. Let's get rid of our malice. Get rid of our carnal nature. Stop trying to find ways to take advantage of people. And may I tell you tonight, nestled in all this, especially this closing parable, The employer is a picture of God's grace and God's forgiveness. We owe him more than we have the ability to repay. That's right. We owe him more than we have the ability to repay. That's why you need to get saved. That's why you need forgiveness of sins. That's why you need to come to the cross and get under the blood of Jesus Christ for the cleansing of your sins and the forgiveness of your sins in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Tonight. Tonight. Would you get a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart delivered from malice and unforgiveness and bitterness and wrath and defrauding? If you're on the verge of suing another Christian, you ought to stop right now. Are you hurting someone out that you're putting them, play, you're pushing against the wall that you're pushing this other Christian that they have to sue you to get their money back? That ought not so to be. Be Christ like. You're not going to take your money out of this world with you. We brought nothing in this world. We'll take nothing out. Let's bask in the sunlight of God's forgiveness. Let his forgiveness work in our life, of knowing that the debt is forgiven. And as God has forgiven us, even so should we forgive others.